What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Friends of Strangers podcast. Go by the name of Live of the Fresh Nerd. Um, this episode was super dope, super powerful, super insightful. Um, a lot of real talk, a lot of jewels were passed, um, especially for those that might be in between their faith or uh, just trying to get some new knowledge on it. Um, I had an awesome therapist on by the name of Tara Chappé or Tara Barley, depending on how you know her. Uh, we dive into everything, uh, how she got her start, um, her inspirations, uh, how she became a therapist, her journey, um, spoke about her faith as well. So tune in and enjoy. Peace. Yeah, we can, we can get started. Welcome to the Friends and Strangers podcast. Um, I go by the name of Lava the Fresh Nerd, as you know. Um, you also know me as Steve. <laughs> Um, but my goal kind of is, um, I feel like, and when it was given to me, it was like friends and strangers, what separates the two? And typically mm-hmm. sometimes it's just a conversation. Sometimes it's just a mm-hmm. question. Um, and going into this year, kind of the goal, um, was kind of just to bring the two closer. I know a lot mm-hmm. of dope people. Um, I have a ton of great friends in a nice circle around me, but there's also a lot of people that are doing amazing things that I don't know. Um, so this podcast is kind of a bridge for, between the two. I'm a plan on having a ton of my friends on, but also in the mm-hmm. journey, hope to meet some strangers that I can bring on mm-hmm. that I'm, I didn't know and equally is awesome. So the mm-hmm. way I start these off is I have two questions. And um, the first one is, who is one stranger that you would say you're proud of or inspired by? Man, <laughs> you coming out the gate swinging. Yeah. Uh, who is one stranger that I am proud of or I'm inspired by? Um, there's, I guess there's so many. I, It's not something, the way that I can think, I can think off the top of my head. But mm-hmm. oddly enough, the person that like fell in my spirit, and I don't even know why, um, because I think that they're not that she's not dope, but I feel like there's so many other people that mm-hmm. later I'll be like, oh, this person, that person was Vanessa Bryant. Oh, wow. Um, my wife was just talking about her. Yeah. You know, she is handling the situation with such grace mm. um, and such humility. Like, I just, you know, I can't I can't follow her on <laughs> like social media. Like, First of all, I never did. But like people that know me know that like I'm a huge like basketball and um and football fan. Okay. And so like Kobe, I always had like I always was just like had this odd relationship with him. Like Kobe is like our era. It was like Michael then Kobe, right? So mm-hmm. I literally like I didn't watch any of the services or anything like that. Like I my like my people that know me from like know me know me called me and was like, "Are you okay?" Like me and him was friends or something. Like right, we know right. that. Like, like that was your dude or whatever um but I didn't like I wasn't like one of those you know some people you like follow their life and all this other kind of stuff that wasn't like my thing with him it was like man basketball um so like I had never really paid too much attention to like that part of his life until like probably the last year before he passed away um, so I'm just saying on to say, I don't know much about the lady at all, really. <laughs> um, but I just have been paying attention to how she's just been navigating this whole situation. And it is such grace and strength and humility um, to have to lose your husband and your child at the same time. Um, I know that people go through those experiences every day. 
but um, to be able to do it, you're in a public eye. And then not only is she in the public eye, but she still has three children, but then two very young children. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to watch her still be able to like celebrate his legacy and build, but have her children to have a sense of normalcy. Um, and it seems like she has a great like support system. And that is always what we need. Um, but even in the holidays, like you've just seen her giving to her friends and stuff like that, like watching her through this process, I think really just gave me a sense of like, I'd like joy and being proud of somebody that you don't even know during this time. And so that is somebody that I don't know, but honestly, mm-hmm. like I've been watching her and just how she's navigated this whole process and just mm-hmm. her integrity and grace in the whole thing. Like, yeah, she is just super amazing. And so, yeah, I definitely like pray for them and their whole family because just they're just inspirational to me just to watch how she's navigating this whole process. Um, and she's grieving the way that I encourage people to grieve. Like you're going to have real low days, but to celebrate the legacy, that is part of what helps people to heal. And so to watch her in that process um, is just really encouraging. So, yeah. No. Okay. Because I yeah. turned down my computer a little bit. So. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. No, you so you sound been... good. Okay. Okay, um, so I can probably edit that part out. The um, uh, boss, the uh, but okay. the second question is: Who is one friend that you would say you're proud of or inspires you? Who is one friend? Okay, um, so I have a lot of friends that do a lot of amazing things. Um, I have friends that are out here as doctors in the pandemic. Um, mm. People that raise their families, like you know. I just have teachers, you know, just a bunch of people that do amazing things. Um, But my one friend that I'm proud of right now, um, I'm proud of her because she is challenging the status quo. Mm. Um, And, you know, I don't know. I don't want to tell all her business. So (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this. Um, But, you know, she grew up Catholic. Not that Mm -hmm. that matters. Um, She is now a Christian. um, And she's just navigating that world of shifting from one um, ideology and doctrine into another, but that's Mm -hmm. not why I'm proud of her. That just gives us a little background. Mm -hmm. So that's one challenge that she's navigating, but she is standing up for justice. Right. So Mm -hmm. she grew up in this very like, you know, upper middle-class suburban, you know, she from Webster. So, you know, Webster is where everybody want to be like that type lifestyle. And, um, her and I met and like, just kind of blended and just was like, you're like a mirror of me. Like we just, you know what I mean? Those people that you mean and you're like, Oh, like you're supposed to be in my world, you know? Um, and so there's many things that she didn't know until she met me. And I kind of always grew up in a world that was very diverse. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, it's not a challenge for me to be with friends with anybody. It's not a struggle. I navigate those worlds very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, But I say that to say, you know, Black people, but it's different when they are integrated into your life. And her and I have been friends for a very long time, but I have watched her just grow and grow in her understanding. We've had hard conversations. We've had challenging conversations. She can ask me anything. I can ask her anything. But just where we are right now in this world, 
she has been combated with everything. And just Mm. to see somebody that can stand up and say, oh, there's places in my life that I am privileged, privileged. Um, there are places in my life that I'm overly sensitive, offended and fragile. Um, let me see the world outside of myself. Wow. Um, and then you're challenged by every other thing around you, even your friends and family that don't understand what you're the system that you're trying to come up against because mm-hmm. they're not used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to see her shift and to see her push and her grace, even in those situations, like I it's it's amazing to me because there's a lot of people in this world that I'm even close to that's not doing that. (laughs) So, you know what I mean? So to see her strength and her push to try to be the difference. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. She would be that person. Okay. You want to give her a name? Her name's Sarah. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to Sarah. Um, Yeah. Send her my way. Like I would love (laughs) to have that combo. Okay. Um, I will. I will. Um, so I kind of do it intentionally. I didn't realize it at first when I first started this, but now, um, kind of let the world know who you are. And if you want, you can kind of give us like who you are at the beginning and your path to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, just know I'm long winded. So tell me, Hey, pause (laughs) at any point. (laughs) I tell everybody, I seem like everybody that I asked said the same thing. So that's the reason why I chose to do a podcast because we got the freedom and, uh, just to say whatever. So please go. I believe what you have to say is powerful. Okay. Um, so I am Tara Barley. I am, well, I have a master's in mental health and community counseling from the University of Rochester. Shout out to the mm-hmm. University of Rochester. Um, and um, I currently work in community mental health. Um, I am super passionate about helping individuals uproot trauma um, to learn who they are, their identity, to just navigate their everyday world in a sense of authenticity and wholeness. But I'm also like, how can I say this? Like I deal with people from all different backgrounds. So I mm-hmm. want to say that um, all my clients are not Christians. I want to say that. And mm-hmm. um, we navigate whatever worldview you come from. So mm-hmm. that's not an issue. Um, but to me, it's super important that Christians really solidify not only their identity in Christ, but they understand that Jesus and therapy go yeah. hand in hand. Right. Yeah. Um, And so just to understand that it is okay from um, the Christian worldview and perspective for them to understand that they need help and to understand that, you know, God has given me this wisdom and this insight to navigate this world to help them grow stronger in their identity in it. Um, Likewise, my like thesis from school had to do with just African-Americans at the time and their religion and spirituality and integrating the two together. Um, Mm -hmm. It showed in like the research that I did that they have better outcomes when it is integrated into counseling um, for a number of reasons. But that is a whole different podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that is part of it. And just to really deal with trauma, I think, and helping people to resolve their issues. Um, We don't really realize that we mature at our last phase of trauma. So, you know, when people have this very traumatic experience younger in life and you're like, yeah, 40, but you acted 12. That's Mm -hmm. right. Because they are stuck in that 12 year old part of their life. And anytime something comes in and triggers that place of brokenness or hurt or whatever, 
then they revert back to that place, that last mm-hmm. place that they had, you know, that incident, their last pain point. And so to me, I just really want to help people to be able to navigate where they are right now by healing their past and then mm. thrusting them into their future. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's basically the essence of who I am, I guess. Okay. Um, I have, I have went to private school my whole entire life. Okay. Um, so I think that that has given me a very different view than certain people because I've lived in multiple spaces. Um, and like, in terms of, I mean, like worlds, not necessarily like, you know, I haven't lived in multiple cities or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've gotten to see the world from being, um, I don't like the words minority and majority, but for this context, I'll use it. I've been a majority in certain situations and I've been Mm -hmm. minority in others. Um, And so I think that you learn a lot of lessons in that um, in terms of like just your overall identity. And that comes through with the people that I guess I interact with or um, that I meet on a daily basis. And I got here (laughs) in terms of therapy I have always been able to really talk to people and get to Mm -hmm. the root of what's going on. Um, I'm always been able to sense when something isn't right, when they needed to talk about something. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I don't say this from a haughty place, but I'm pretty wise. And I've been that that little kid that the grownups are like, have you? have you been here before? Like, don't just say that. Um, so I think it was always in me, but when I had went to undergrad, I was in psychology program and that was a whole lot there. Um, cause I went to a school where I was like an RA and there was so much that you don't realize when you're in that role that comes up that you have to deal with, um, with your residents and stuff like that. It's a lot mm-hmm. of responsibility. Um, and then we had some racial things um, happen at our school. And by the time I got done, I was just like, I don't want to be Rosa Parks and I don't want to listen to nobody <laughs> problems. <laughs> I want to be a regular person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so, cause initially like I wanted to go to HBU, like I always wanted to go to Spelman, but mm-hmm. then I was like, I was like, the world isn't like that. I just felt a real sense that God was like sending me to a place that was not just, you know, my people and understanding. And I think they're great. Like I kind of go back and forth, like, should I have went there? Um, but I think he was sending me into a world where I had to go through those experiences because it gives me language for who he has called for me to be later. And there was just a lot of stuff that happened there. And by the end of that experience, I was done with it all. Like I didn't want to talk to people. I was good. Um, so I was I basically the reason why that is relevant is I had graduated from undergrad and I was um, said I was going to go to school for pharmacy. And so I like took classes that I didn't take in undergrad for pharmacy and I was getting ready to apply for pharmacy school and all those things. And um, there was just like a lot of shifts. I was like, do I want to do this? Is this like my purpose? Is this, am I passionate about this? Or will I just make a lot of money, right? Mm. And um, I liked all the information because I like data. Like I like learning of all this stuff. And um, I still really like pharmacy, but it wasn't something that I was called to do. Um, and long story short, I ended up working for the University of Rochester um, and they had a pharmacy that um, 
deals with people that had like severe mental illnesses. And it was really like a collaborative care setting that mm-hmm. allowed for them to have groups and all these resources, their medical things, um, everything in one setting for a population of people that are not that compliant. Um, and when I was there, it's kind of when my passion came back for what I was doing mm-hmm. um, because there was sometimes that people would come and talk to me about their you know, client, cause they won't talk to them, but they've tell them, told me their whole life, or I know something that they didn't know, or do you know where this person is? And just talking to them and realizing that there was a part of, um, individuals that have mental illnesses that we don't always treat them like human beings. You know, the fact that somebody was asking them how their day was and talking to them with a sense of normalcy and building that relationship I just saw how much that was needed, especially for people that were going through some of the most challenging times of their life. And I was able to do it effortlessly. And so it just really gave me a heart for that population of people. Mm-hmm. And so it turned me back around, long story short. And that's kind of how I got back on this journey. That was amazing. Um, so I kind of want to go to your childhood for a second, just okay. because... Um, Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Can you look back and see, um, like, I still think there's a lot of mystery behind therapists and therapy mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. the concept of it all. So one thing that comes to my mind just randomly is like, well, therapists go through something crazy to make them realize that they want to be a therapist mm-hmm. or do they come from traditionally great childhoods to make Mm -hmm. sure they are like kind of I'm sure you had sprinklings of things that kind of hinted you to what you are today can you look back and see some of those things yeah you know so I honestly can't say you know in the grand scheme of things that I had like a horrible childhood you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. that would be a lie um I have a mother Mm -hmm. I have a father and though they're not married like they provided for me. I had amazing grandparents. Mm. I um, went to, you know, private school all my life. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? And so even though we may not have had everything we wanted financially, there was a lot of things that I consistently had that many people that in my community may not have had those same experiences or opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think what really started happening for me was, is that I realized that there was pieces of not just me or other people that were um, broken or you weren't really living out your true self. And it kind of made me try to figure out why. Hmm. Um, And in hindsight, like looking back, um, I think that although my education, I can look, you know, there were so many people that like encouraged me and, um, you know, I wouldn't be who I am now if I didn't go to those schools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were certain teachers that like I honor, like they really saw something in me that I didn't necessarily even see in myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think one of the biggest challenges of being in that environment is being the, a lot of times the only minority student. Mm -hmm. And so I personally didn't always see it because I wasn't necessarily raised like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't necessarily always seen it until I got older and I saw 
fractures from being in those roles and the narratives that were spoken to me and over me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that kind of shifted stuff. Then for me to be the bright individual, not saying that they're not bright people in our community. I'm just talking about stereotypically Mm -hmm. um, that comes from, you know, the private school and everything like that and go back into your world and just kind of, um, yeah, just kind of what it, is like to be in that situation. Yeah. I think it's also challenging um, because there's just this false um, war that has been created in our community that if you act a certain way, then you're not one of us. And, yeah. you know, we drank the Kool-Aid, right? We believe the lie that we can't be a diverse group of people because that's what we have kind of been taught. And that's what we have took on that identity. So I think for me, there was a lot of pockets, like little things that came up. Um, Like I said, my parents, they have, you know, they always provide and stuff, but the way that my mind works, I Mm -hmm. see the deficit. So like I see the good, but I'm like, oh, this is what it's like to be a child from a single mother. Like Mm. the weight of that, you know what I mean? Oh, this is what it's like when your father has multiple children, the weight of that, you know? And I think really what kind of probably led me to this journey is, is that I wanted to be able to celebrate all those things, but there was patterns that I wasn't taking with me to the future. Mm. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? So there was Mm -hmm. things that I was like, this was great. I appreciate it. This is why I am the way that I am. However, um, I will take the beauty of what this situation created. I will take every good thing that was deposited in me, but anything that was negative or trying or hard, that can't be a part of my legacy. I'm not Mm -hmm. passing that on to my children. I'm not carrying that weight with me. So um, really besides like wanting to like help the people that I felt like nobody wanted to help, that's kind of what it is. Um, And that's kind of like one of the challenges that I deal with knowing that I'm supposed to create something else. But it's like, if I leave these community mental health set settings, what happens to those people? But that's another thing. So like, I'm thinking about all how all this stuff is going to come together. Um, But I really, what happened for me in grad school, I wasn't in grad school to get more knowledge, kind of. It really was a self-exploration journey. And Mm. it was a journey of like healing. It was a journey of depositing stuff. It was a a journey of like eradicating things. And so really all of that kind of, that particular journey and what, that was a value that I really got from my program. Mm -hmm. And it was like the relationships that I even developed with like some of the professors and it really kind of had, had me to self-reflect, to look at my own dysfunction mm-hmm. and to be like, yeah, you're great, but you also got some issues, homie. So, <laughs> so, so deal with your mess, right? Yeah. And so I think that those are real reasons why I wanted um, to be a therapist. And I never really knew you, you navigate the world and you don't really know what's there mm-hmm. until you do. And so, you know, I can't necessarily pinpoint one thing. I think it kind of was like, I'm good at this. And there was a lot of other stuff that I was good at, but I think I was, I was frightened away in a way of my own shadow. Like it was like, it was easier for me to play the background. Gotcha. So at one point it was like, I could be a lawyer and I kind of wanted to be one. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, it was like, I don't know if I want to really do that and be in a courtroom. Like, so I think that that was kind of always me that it's easier for me just to kind of go in the back. But that also okay. is a part of a story. Right. So yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned a couple things. 
Um, one is that being the only um, minority in a lot of the rooms you were in, um, I can relate to that just because of what I've, the things that I've always dwelled in as a child wasn't um, typically what my environment dwelled in. Mm-hmm. Um, the nerdy stuff, um, random, but when I jumped into the workforce, I typically was always the only minority. Um, same thing when I got into college. And mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up is I remember it kind of being a badge of honor for me, mm-hmm. um, being prideful, but in hindsight, looking back, um, that's a pain that should be there. Like, why am I the only one there? Um, and I, I wanted to just get your thoughts on not specifically that badge of honor, but how we as a people take things and celebrate them. For example, um, you see all the time on social media, I just cut so-and-so off or I'm blocking a ton of people. Um, why do we, not why do we, um, how do we shift that thinking of, um, in a sense, I guess it's us just making lemons out of lemonade. I'm the only black person in this, so I should celebrate it. Um, I have to cut a ton of people off just because it seems cool. Um, then there's a million more, but um, how do we begin to shift those things or those thinkings? Yeah, I think um, they're kind of two separate things, even though they may have the, um, the same root, kind of. Um, so to go back to, um, being in school and it being the the badge of honor, I understand that part too. Um, that's why like every, um, comment and question, um, has like a million little pieces, even though you may only talk about one piece, you know what I mean? So let me just put that out there. Um, if you ask me it from a different angle or if we had hours, I could give you the very, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just diverse, uh, answer to all these questions. So none of these things are just like very linear. They all have, um, a lot of and I mean, that's part of us being only in the room. You kind of got right. to speak 90 different languages yeah. to get the point across. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I felt that way, too. And in a way that was that was um, instilled in me, like my parents, my mom, especially instilled in me that when you go into this space, you have to be the best. You have to be the smartest. You have to have a self-worth because if you do not, they will try to tear you down. Mm-hmm. And not even as a sense of like being um, racist, she is speaking the truth. There's a lot of experiences that I had that were just that, a mirror of that. And mm-hmm. as a kid, you don't always know that mm-hmm. that's what's happening or that's what's going on. Like, you know, there were experiences. I remember the first time when I like, I realized I was black at two times in school. Okay. One, when I thought I was going to homegirl house to spend a night <laughs> and that yes. didn't work out. My mom was like, stop asking those white people to go to there. So I was like, yeah. wait, what is happening here? Like I'm right. five or six or however, I was confused. Mm-hmm. I might've been older. I think I was in sixth grade, but that's another story. Um, and then, you know, in college when we had all these things happen. So I'm just saying that to say there's a part of you that has to have that sense of pride in who you are because the world's going to tell you that who you are isn't worth it. Mm. Um, and so you have to know who you are. And that's just not being black. That's being a male. That's being a woman. You yeah. know, that's being the only one that is sent to um, a certain job atmosphere. And they didn't see anyone like you and you're different. And so when you go into that space, you have to know who you are. Mm. And so I I, that is something that cultivates that aspect of pride. 
um, I think that where it can kind of get like wonky is, is that when your identity is solidified in that and just Ooh. that, <laughs> where if that isn't there, you're nothing that Ooh. your worth and your value is in this thing. Mm. Um, and so for me, I had to separate being the smartest only African-American in those spaces, in those rooms. It's not challenging for me to go into rooms with everybody else, not like me. Like I can go into a room with a ton of white people and I know I'm black, but I don't care. Mm. <laughs> like, because I've grew up like that yeah. and we communicate easily mm-hmm. um, where I can, you know, and that's why I, I call myself like the, the black girl exception. Like I had wrote a whole, I did a whole speech on it on college when we were supposed to talk about race or issues. I'm mm-hmm. the exception. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the person that has the challenge going into these situations. And I think that that is okay. You know what I mean? Because that's mm-hmm. part of who I am. So I'm saying all that to say being proud of being that individual is not necessarily bad, but it's just when your identity and everything that who you are is only rooted in that one aspect. Because if something were to change, then, and if your worth and your value is in that thing, that's when people Mm. are broken. That's when they have like these existential midlife crisis and all that stuff, because they put all their value into something that is wasting away. Um, That's that part. And then us as a people, (laughs) I think that, um, I don't necessarily know if it's, just black people i just just in terms of our community though it's almost as if um we have been taught that we can't get above like this bar Mm. and so when we see individuals get above this bar we believe that oh they got there but that doesn't mean that i can um and there's a lot of factors there. I think that some of that stuff is representative of the contexts that we're in. Some of it has to do with classism and socialism. And, you know, some of it has to do with wages and neighborhoods and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are the very real factors. But one thing that like I had learned through research and like learning about urban communities and all that stuff, because, you know, you have to do some of that stuff in school. Yeah. Um, some of the classes that I took, really kind of reinforced things that I thought, but then it gave me like the actual, I guess, education behind my thoughts, if that makes sense. But anyway, um, is, is that when you provide someone with the alternate, um, understanding, um, when you show them something different Mm -hmm. and when they choose to take on that identity instead of the one that they're like kind of stuck in, Mm -hmm. then they can have a different understanding. Right. And so it's kind of in terms of the things that you're talking about in our community and cutting people off and all of those things, the question, the idea to me would be not that you're, you're cutting people off because I think that in life we have to reevaluate ourselves and our relationships constantly. Some Mm -hmm. people are seasonal. That's not good, bad, or whatever. Like they are in your life for a certain season. Some people go on your, in a journey with you for your lifetime. It's important to know the difference. Mm -hmm. However, in terms of like, you know, I'm cutting people off this year and I'm, you know, I, um, you know, I see people block season, all this. Yeah, Yeah. Why do you have to do that every year? Right. To me, that's the bigger question. Right. Um, right. And I don't necessarily think that that is 
community-based. I think that it is people-based that Mm. we're not choosing to really get to the heart of what's happening here. Because if you have to go through your friends list every single year and get rid of everybody, (laughs) um, then are you choosing the right friends? Gotcha. Gotcha. Alrighty. Um, so I'll be remiss if I wouldn't go, um, yeah, yeah. Hoodie says Jesus and therapy. Yeah. Um, so it seems that faith is a huge part of who you are. Yes. Um, can you speak to um, maybe the time period or the kind of the moment where you realized, in a sense, who he was and when that became such a part of you? Yeah. Um, so I feel like I had different experiences um, throughout life. So in my house, we always, I always knew Jesus was God's son and I always grew up like that. We didn't always go to church, but I knew that. And um, I will give always honor to the Catholic school system because Mm -hmm. I always went to um, Catholic schools up until um, I was in high school. So Mm -hmm. they taught me a lot about just the honor and the reverence of God that I don't think that I would have learned outside of that. Um, So that was learned in the Catholic school system. I learned ideas and stuff in the Bible in the Catholic school system. Um, but then when we were about, when I was probably like about 15, um, my mom got saved and started going to church. Oh, and going back, like my family, especially on my dad's side, like there are a lot of pastors and preachers and all that stuff. Okay. Um, but it's a difference, I think, than um, being. There's a difference between being um, in a religion and knowing how to um, participate in um, activities and all that stuff than having relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me personally, once we, um, my mom got saved, that's kind of when I went on that journey with the church that I um, intended. And it was like, all of a sudden, there was just a relationship that was being cultivated that I kind of didn't understand, but it mm-hmm. started to mean a lot to me on a personal level. Okay. Um, and then, so that was, so I think that those are, you know, two different points in time. Yeah. And then, you know, you go to college, you have life, you dealing with your identity, all that stuff. And, you know, it is what it is. That's, I call yeah. those the lost years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff happens. So um, I, um, before you, I just, because I don't know the feeling of um, necessarily having that through college. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Um, You know, it was challenging because, so I went to college when I was 17. Yeah, same um, here. Yeah, you know, so you're young. And I didn't realize kind of how sheltered I was because I wouldn't have thought I was sheltered. Like, you know. I grew up in the hood, like, like, you know right. what I mean? Even though my grandparents lived in the suburbs, like I grew up in the hood. Mm-hmm. I might like, didn't do everything, but like, I didn't think I was as sheltered until right. I went to college in Philadelphia. And I was like, holy Whoa. crap, what is this? <laughs> I hadn't even necessarily even been around that many black people in one setting, like in terms wow. of school. Like I had never, like we probably, we had black kids in our school and I went to an all girl high school. Okay. So, I, that was another shift, you know, four years of being around only girls and then yeah. go into this college setting. And then there's a lot more people that look like me, even though there wasn't a ton of us. Yeah. It had a lot of challenges that like 
I never have foreseen. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that we deal with in our community, like in terms of like competition and stuff, all of that things that are kind of like fostered so that we can have this infighting and hate that we just don't seem to like get or want to stop. Like right. I had to encounter those things that like I never had to like encounter on that magnitude and that scale. Um, so that was interesting in terms of college. Um, also I, when I went to college, I was just like, you know, sold out for Jesus, like in my room, <laughs> like in my wow. own little world at first. Um, and I would say that at some point, um, that whole environment becomes a little like, uh, it shifts when you're there and you get new experiences and you learn new things and your pastor's not there and your church isn't there and everything like that. So it was just like very interesting, I would say, for the least, um, being in that environment in that world. I learned a whole lot um, about myself. I found myself, I found probably like a hundred versions of myself Wow. Um, in that process, I would say. So it was it was very, very interesting. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, you go, you party or whatever, but then you got to walk home. And so I'm the person that just left the party, but I'm speaking in tongues as I'm going back to my, wow. <laughs> my apartment, wow. asking God to cover me because I'm in a back alley walking back to my apartment. The yeah. nonsense um, that we go through. So, so anyways, I would say like in college, it was it was the I was in between two worlds for a long time. and. Um, when I came home, I think it was a lot of me trying to figure out who am I and what am I going to do with what God has put inside of me? What did I think that that relationship looked like? Um, but I would say that probably it was it wasn't that long ago, honestly, when um, God and I had like real encounters and I okay. really surrendered, I guess. Um, Because to me, it was always kind of a control thing a little bit, too, because it's like, if you do this, what does that mean? And what do I am I going to have to agree to? Um, So when I really let go, that's Mm -hmm. when that relationship really began to develop. When I said I'm not going to be in control of this anymore. (laughs) Funny how that works, right? Funny, right? (laughs) All right. um, So I did a little research, which is always weird when you try to research your friends. And um, this, so I found this and I, I would love for you to expound on it because I know what it is and mm-hmm. I've, I've been blessed to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But here it goes. It's Tara Shippe. Yeah, Shippe. Tara Shippe, heart mender. Yeah. Daughter, bridge builder, therapist, mentor, investor, light bearer. I redefine mm-hmm. narratives. I cultivate hope. I deconstruct trauma. I foster authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, so which part? <laughs> I feel like I'm talking. <laughs> uh, well, you tell me which part and I'll expound upon it. Well, let's start with Tara Chappé. Okay. So Chappé is my middle name. Okay. Um, and I didn't, so I didn't used to like it when I was younger. I used to say, I don't even know. I used to say it was other, my middle name was other stuff when kids asked me in school. <laughs> uh, Cause you know, their name's like Judy and Marie and I'm Chappé. Right. So like, I used to come up with all of this other stuff. Um, but 
So a part of me using my middle name was really me embracing the fullness of my identity. Mm. Um, truth be told. Um, and so I was like, you need to love every aspect of you. Come on now. You know, and so that's why I started using it. And then also, you know, you get clients can get a little weird. So I didn't yeah. want them to have easy access to me because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had some weird stuff happen, not just with clients, with people. So I just yeah. was like, let me like remix it a little bit. But yeah. that's where the Chappé came from was me embracing the fullness of who I am. All right. Let's go Heartmender. Mm-hmm. Um. To me, what I do is um, I mend broken hearts. Um, that you and, do? Yeah. And so it can be brokenness from anything. It can be brokenness from your childhood. It can be brokenness in your marriage and your relationships. It can be brokenness in terms of how you view yourself. Um, but that is what I am called to do. Like one of the things I will have conversations with God is like, how am I going to do this? What does this look like? And he literally sent me to the scripture in Isaiah that says that you're called to mend the brokenhearted. Mm. Um, and to me, just the weight of that, that number one, that he would even trust me. Like, uh, now this makes me emotional and I'm not even emotional, but like the fact that he will even trust me with people, like, I don't take that lightly. Like the responsibility to hold somebody's heart in your hand mm-hmm. and to do it responsibly. Like, that's another reason why. I feel like the therapy part was so important for me to go through that journey in school because you don't want to transfer your hurt or your pain on anyone else. And that's Mm -hmm. really one of the reasons why I was so invested in that program, because we break people all the time with our words, our actions. And it's not always intentional. It's because of things that we haven't resolved in Mm ourselves. And so I knew that there was some things and I didn't know what they were. That was the challenge of it all. Like, I didn't know what they were, but it was Mm -hmm. like, at one point I looked in the mirror and I was just like, God, there is something here and I don't see it, but I need to resolve it because Mm -hmm. I can't go forward like this. You know, every, everybody sees you when they see this bright, this beautiful thing. And then inside, you know, there's this war and Mm -hmm. you don't know what it is. And so I just feel like mending hearts is so crucial because there's there's so many things like even that we see in the world that we see it as a reflection of hate and sometimes it is but it's just brokenness that people didn't deal with Mm. and so that's why it's important to me to be able to help people to really deal with their pain um, and try to resolve it in order for them to be that's where it comes I bridge authenticity for you to be the most authentic person the most authentic version of yourself like you know I'll have people say like you know this person I know them well how do you know them they don't know them (laughs) they just figuring out who they are you know what I mean so like if anybody was like I knew you back then great stay with her unless you want to know me because I didn't even fully know who I was back then I don't even live there no more Yeah, yeah exactly so I just try through you know certain things try to help people um, to be that most authentic version of themselves. Light bearer. Um, I bear the light of Christ <laughs> in on me, now. on the outside of me. Um, that is one of my um, daily prayers. Um, I would say it's like, you know, when I really like have that time with God before I do something is allow his light to shine on the inside of me for people that don't know him can know him through me. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I go up to people all the time and just be like, Jesus said this, Jesus did this. It's regular conversations and interactions. That's how I realized, 
you know, going back to when I was working at the um, mental um, health like pharmacy thingy in Rochester, there would be those clients would come up to me all the time and be like, are you a Christian? And mm. I'd be like, how do they know? Like, we can talk about God. <laughs> I didn't say nothing. And they just like, I could tell. And that's when God really started to talk to me about your very being, who you are on the inside, who I created you to be, that light shines. Mm-hmm. And other people are able to see that light when you are a representation of mm-hmm. who I called you to be. And so my job is to shine his light in every dark place that he's mm-hmm. called me to. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into, I redefine narratives, but um, I have to go on. Um, first of all, you're a woman. Mm-hmm. And you're a Christian woman. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the little girl or the woman that's listening to this that may be struggling with. um, Because as Christians, we sometimes say things that are culturally to us that we assume the rest Mm -hmm. of the world or even other Christians may just know. Mm -hmm. So when you refer to him speaking to you, um. Some people may think that that may be audibly. Can mm-hmm. you kind of in your life, because I know it's different for everybody, but some of those moments where he's communicated with you, can you expound on how and maybe how? if someone's yeah. struggling with communicating with God, um, mm-hmm. kind of the different ways that he may communicate with him? Because we don't I just I think people assume that he's just going to say, hey, you with yeah. a strong, loud voice, Tara, and you're going to be this. like, Hey, oh, this is how God speaks. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you know, he speaks in a number of ways. And um, I'd say in terms of that particular situation, yeah, it may have been audible, but it was in my voice. Sometimes I hear him in like voices that are familiar to me that like mm-hmm. I've heard, you know, that I've heard before, but the language or what he's saying is very intentional um, because maybe it's something that I'm not thinking about. Maybe it's something that um, I haven't fully expressed. And then there will be a language that starts to communicate with me, but it's not like Tara do this, you know, or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, he speaks to me in dreams, you know, a lot of times people, they discount their dreams and I'm not mm. saying that every dream is from God because they're not, there's our flesh. We have dreams. Um, there's dreams that are, uh, divinely given to us and, uh, the, the enemy, um, uh, our adversary, the devil also gives us dreams as well. Mm. And, um, that's a, another topic of conversation, but yeah. we do have to sift through that to figure out where that data is coming from. But he talks mm. to me in dreams. Um, and through other people. So there's times that other people will come and communicate something to me or have a conversation to me about something that I've only been speaking to God about, or I've I've been wow. thinking about or trying to process. And so to me, that's what I would say confirmation. So once God speaks to me about something and I'm trying to process it, somebody else comes to me, he will confirm it not once, but twice. Normally somebody else will come after that, or I'll see something on TV or I'll be driving and there's a sign. We have to realize that he is the creator of the universe, the great I am, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that he can communicate with us through any Anything. Like there has been times where I've been thinking, should I be here? 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I will get there. And I literally was in a place and I'm wondering, do I go there? Is this the place, one of the places that you sent me? This whole thing where I'm having communications and trying to pull out my frustration, my anxiety, you know, all of those things about doing something that's new and challenging. And then I've literally went somewhere and the street sign has my name on it. Glad Barley. You, you know what I mean? So I'm like, Barley, wait a minute. I've never seen my name on a street sign right. of the very place that I'm asking, am I supposed to be? Yeah. Um, so he talks to us in all kinds of ways. We're just not always intentional about paying attention. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 we're so consumed with everything that we're not present, but he's always speaking. The word says that he even speaks to us in a still small voice. It's not always going to be this loud thing. Mm-hmm. So we have to cultivate an environment that we're able to receive the information that he gives us um, because it's all over. It's in movies, you know, if he's the creator of everything, then I expect him to speak through everything. Come on, uh, so I just have to be paying attention to what it is that he's saying to me at that time. Yeah, so. that's awesome. That was so awesome. Um, if people, if you're listening, I, um, just pay attention. Like, for example, quick story. When I started running um, last summer, um, one one of the paths, like my main path that I would run, pretty much every time I would run it, um, I would see a red cardinal. And then this red cardinal is another. But I, I would see this red cardinal every time. I, and then would, when I was running, I would see two of them. Mm-hmm. And I was... I was praying, communicating with God, and I'm, he let me know that that's his presence every time I'm running. That he, yeah. That's just a reminder that he's there. So um, a friend of mine, probably a couple months ago, was like, hey, Steve, man, I'm struggling with, I can't, I'm not hearing from God. I don't think he hear me, so on and so forth. So I told him to say, I'm like, hey, man, you got to kind of just pay attention to, like, be present. It's a lot of things that you receive information wise that you may not realize. For example, I told him the bird story. So he calls me about a week later and he's him and his wife. They're like, we just seen this red Cardinal. <laughs> Super exciting. It was like, it was just, it was, a, it was a ton of birds and we seen one red Cardinal and he looked at us and then he flew away. Super excited. I haven't seen that red Cardinal since. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but um, walking into work one day, he just, seen a ton of crosses everywhere and he just was like i'm always with you don't worry type mm-hmm. thing but i just yeah. I, I said to say that i said that to say people just be present be aware of your surroundings um i know it may seem tricky especially for new people that that are looking to get a deeper relationship with god um just look mm-hmm. for the little small things because he is there talking yeah. Um, but so now I want to get to the, the I'd redefine Can I say something about that real oh, yeah, quick. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. And I just want to encourage people as well to know that it's not for an elect few, you know. So hey, come on. there's definitely like this idea that like, oh, he only speaks to prophets or he only speaks to pastors or leaders or whatever you may have been taught. Uh mm-hmm. that's not accurate, or whatever you may think that's yeah. not accurate. Um when 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 Jesus said basically, and I'm paraphrasing to mm-hmm. all of the religious people, yeah, <laughs> but when yeah. he said basically that when he left us, that there was going to be someone greater that was going to be here. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you. When you're like, oh, something just told me to do that. Oh, this is just my conscience or, you know, or whatever worldly thing we may think it is. That's literally the Holy Spirit 
like saying, wait, no, go do this. You know, even when that conviction falls on you, like, Mm -hmm. girl, should you really like that is the Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside of you. And so he is everywhere. God is everywhere. And so with the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inner side, on the inside of you and with you having that direct communication and access to God. Yes. He places people in our lives as mentors and counselors and leaders and all of those things to give us the insight and wisdom that we may not have on the, of a situation, but you should always be able to communicate with him yourself and to go to him first, because Mm. he wants that intimacy and that direct communication with you. So I would just tell people, talk to God the way that you talk to your friend, like the way that I'm talking right now to Steve is the way I talk to God, like literally. And sometimes I have to catch myself, be like, girl, don't get too familiar with him because I'd be like, nah, I'm not doing Oh God, I am sorry. Like, yeah, let me pull yeah. back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. he is my father and my friend. And so, yeah, I just wanted to say that because sometimes people can think that like, I don't have what it takes or I don't yeah. have that on the inside of me. And the love of the father is for us all. And right. So and that relationship is everything. Mm-hmm. And so don't, don't get caught up in, in the hype. Just talk yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I felt that. Um, so you are a woman and you're a black woman. And mm-hmm. I have to ask, um, what has it been like maneuvering through your many facets, specifically your therapy, but also um, as a Christian woman, because mm-hmm. that's a stigma of its own. Um, mm-hmm. Some challenges yeah. that you might have faced um, and again, in hopes to if that woman's listening, you mm-hmm. might be able to give them some insight or something. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of, you know, the field that I'm in, a lot of times you see a lot of women in this field. And I just think that that has something to do with toxic masculinity, not necessarily that women are better at this field than men. Um, that's a different subject. Um, yeah, but <laughs> it's a whole different. I, I bet it has a lot to do with emotional intelligence. Yeah, it does. Um, but you know, in terms of being, um, let's start off with being a black woman. So, um, I have been in sessions with people that I know look at me and they're like, "Oh, because that was me at work too." Um, before I actually was a therapist, I would communicate with them on the phone and so when I communicate with them and I'm in my professional voice that you know all of our parents taught us African-Americans yeah. how to have yeah. you know what is it called code switching now that yeah they call it? that's what yeah. that's what they call it now code switching but yeah. you know you're taught to present yourself a certain way right mm-hmm. and it's just natural so um I don't necessarily think that's a good or a bad thing you need to be able to navigate the environments that you go in honestly um Same but in, within authenticity though I will put that out there again yeah um, um, so I am used to people seeing me, not knowing that it was me, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Oh, so you're the one that I've been talking to this whole time. Oh, you're the one that was able to do this for me. Um, that's normal. Yeah. My name's Steven. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so there's this whole part of it where people don't really know that I am the person on the other side of that. Mm. In therapy, I've had clients who 
initially come into a room and they're thrown off because they're getting ready to sit down with a female black therapist. Wow. Um, and so that is challenging um, within itself. And, you know, one of the experiences happened when I was in grad school and um, I had um, a mentor, an advisor in grad school that he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. I remember mm-hmm. like he was um, a Episcopal um, priest and um, he um, was a professor at our school and I just, I love him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he would like talk to me in real like religious terms. Like he would tell me when you're overwhelmed and you can't function, you're not talking to God enough. So he's like, don't, I don't care that you got five papers. Have right. you sat with God? Like, that's how he would deal with me. Wow. <laughs> um, and so like, he even told me like, the therapy thing is great, but you can't run from your call. At that time, I didn't know what this man was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, he was like, you can't run from it. Um, but the reason why that was so helpful in navigating these situations is, is that one of the things that I was taught in that program and even within him is, is the fact that I am who I am and I'm entering into a space and everything that I carry goes into that space with me. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge with many therapists or people is that they um, feel a level of resistance or pushback and then they stop. Like, I don't have to do that or I don't want to confront that or I shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Well, in certain spaces, if you do not, if you're not willing to have the conversation and do it in a place of not being offended or Mm. prideful, but do it with a level of grace, you're never going to be able to really penetrate that same system that you're complaining about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you have these therapy sessions and when people look at me, my thing of it is, is that I know again, (laughs) I'm not trying to be prideful, but I know I'm dope. So I'm like, I know that if you sit with me, and get, you know, over this side of me. Like I never used to wear my hair in um, braids and there's a lot of reasons why, but like in corporate settings or professional settings, it's like, how am I going to be received now? Yeah. But now I'm like, yo, I'm black. You know, (laughs) I'm going to be me. (laughs) Yeah. What kind of forever? Like (laughs) I'm about to be me, you know? And so, you know, entering into those spaces, I have to really let them know that like, once you get past this exterior, Mm-hmm. then the work can happen. Mm-hmm. And so I got to deal with my own issues because I can't be offended that this person may have never encountered a black person on this level. Mm-hmm. Like we think the yes, the world is very integrated, but it's, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not, you it's know. Really not. It's, no, and we think about it, we all stay in our own little silos. So like how are we supposed to even really encounter somebody unless we're I think willing? That's a city thinking. Like coastal yeah. city thinking, because yeah. you don't have that issue in the mid, the Midwest. Yeah. They they know. <laughs> <laughs> they know we're not integrated. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like in session, I remember, like I had a client who there was just this level of resistance. I knew it was because I was black. Mm-hmm. So my challenge was. How do I bring it up? Not making it about me. That's another thing people want to, I'm going to address it. I'm going to confront it. Well, that's fine. But if it's because of you and your ego, then you're harming the client. Right. So I've had to step back and engage, you know, and then get to that point to say, I know this is an issue. How are you feeling about it now? Mm. 
But number one, the person is like, what? <laughs> like they didn't expect <laughs> for me to address it. Right. But then when we address it. That's when a real work can happen. So then you can tell me all of your experiences. And then sometimes you got to take a deep swallow because we're mm. human. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to swallow it. And mm-hmm. when I leave here, I might, you know, pray, curse, repent, whatever I had to do. <laughs> I'm going to deal with my stuff, but I'm yeah. going to come back here and we're going to have this this encounter in order for you to work through the things that you have to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, I've had that experience there professionally. I had it where I was an RA and I remember I'm minding my own business. And I'll never forget this, that I had um, one of the people on my floor like, I like love her. We hung out together. We did all of this stuff together. I had no idea that she was taught to hate black people. Like that is one experience in my life that I'll never forget. And that's what really let me know that you have to be willing to be the difference because I remember she came to me and it showed me too that whole light thing that when your light really shines through, Mm -hmm. like unless somebody is absolutely trying to stay where they are, mm-hmm. it is going to penetrate. Yep. And I remember she came to my room. She might have been drunk. I don't even remember. But I, all I remember is that I was like, for in college, cleaning your room is like a huge yeah. thing. And I was that's what I was actually doing at that time, minding my business. And she came in and she started telling me this whole story and apologizing. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> like, I, don't, I, I ain't seen you a day. Like, what are we talking about? Right. Long story short, she started apologizing because she started telling me how she was brought up to hate black people. Wow. But then she met me and she had no choice but to interact with me. Right. Cause I'm right. her. Right. Yeah. But then she met me and started just apologizing saying she's sorry and meeting me changed her whole world and all this stuff. And then I said, aha, that, yeah. aha. <laughs> that yeah. was like, that. like, you know, but that's when it really resonates in you that, you just need to be who God created you to be. There's going mm. to be some people that you're going to be like a repellent to. And there's the people that you're called to be the difference to, and you're going to be the difference. And so as a black woman, I try to navigate the world like that. Now there is a level of resistance in terms of the fact that you're, when you, when you have a certain posture, when you dress a certain way, when you look a certain way, you enter into these spaces, I can feel the pushback. Mm-hmm. I can feel the pushback from colleagues. I can feel the pushback from white women. I can feel the pushback from white men when mm-hmm. I enter into these spaces. And so my job is to figure about how am I going to navigate it? Because mm-hmm. I don't think that I realized too, that at some points I was shrinking back mm-hmm. until uh, basically uh, this year, like, well, not this year, but 2020. That mm. was like a light bulb to me in a lot of ways because here I am thinking, I got this. I've been navigating this life forever and I have, but I didn't realize that you pick up, you know, you pick a residue in life. You, you, that's why we got to continue to do like the work because mm-hmm. you can be perfectly fine. You pick up residue, don't know it's on the bottom of your shoe. And so basically I'm picking up all of these messages and all of this data and not realizing that there are times that I'm shrieking back to make other people feel comfortable. And I think that there's a way that you have to communicate in these environments, but you also have to do it again as your authentic self. And I can't help that my presence offends you, mm. but I am here to work with you, communicate with you and to build with you. That's mm. something you're going to have to deal with. I'm not going to be overtly proud or arrogant or any of those things, mm-hmm. but I am going to be, I'm going to be intelligent 
I am going to talk on something that I have the wisdom to provide the insight with. I'm not going to not say it because you feel a certain type of way. Mm. And I think that's important for Black women to really realize entering into spaces. Um, I also wrote a paper when I, about why the conversations between Black women and white women are so difficult. And mm. um, one of the things has to do with how we're raised. Like, you know, me and my friend Sarah has talked about that as well. Like, Black women are are meant and we have no choice but to be independent um to be strong and a lot of times our independence or directness is seen as being aggressive Mm. i'll sway (laughs) right it's not aggressive because you can't deal with it you know of course i believe again that we need to communicate a certain way but we need to do that with everybody (laughs) like it's just not you know just one group of people and so the communication has been difficult i've had a lot of things that at the time I'm just trying to do my job. So I don't, I didn't, it didn't always click to me. And then sometimes I would say like, nah, she got a problem with me. Cause you know, then you lose it. Nah, she got a problem with me cause I'm black. <laughs> I don't know what to say, but that's not what's really happening here. Don't know how to help her right now. Got to do my job right now. I don't have the grace to handle it. I'll pray, come back, super Christian, handle it appropriately right now. <laughs> bye. <laughs> you know, like get out right. my face. Um, so you, I really had to realize that because also too, like when I speak, it has a level of authority behind it. It has a level of weight. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that is difficult for people as well. But again, like it really has to do with my heart, which is pure and loving and all those things. And if you're challenged by the way that God has kind of designed me to present some of these things to you. Is that my problem or your problem? Ooh. And sometimes it might be my problem. Right. And when it is, I'll make an adjustment. But when right. it's yours, my expectation is that you're willing to do the same thing. And so that's really my encouragement in terms of that authenticity for like young Black women is mm-hmm. not to shrink Black, mm. like to be the most authentic version of yourself and to know, though, that you don't have to be um, rude. Mm. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be the narrative that everybody's trying to create because that's what it said that we are. Because we're so much more poised and dignified than this uh, stereotypical view that is presented in media of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so it's time for us to really get back to that. It's time for us to kind of get back to like that Claire Huxtable, right? (laughs) That lady that is about her business, that like those are multifaceted. Exactly. And so yep. that is like my encouragement. Um, that conversation probably could be a whole podcast about yeah, navigating yeah. the world. But um, yeah. so I, I ask everybody, um, and you alluded to it. Um, we met because of twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> um, you um, you definitely have been amazing in my life. But oh, how was your twenty twenty? Twenty twenty was rough. Um. For a lot of reasons, but then it also was a blessing. Like it was rough just because, you know, I relocated right like right before 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a God thing because I would still be in in my city, in my state. Yeah. Uh, that's an, that's another podcast. Yeah. Uh, so to relocate and to um be in a position that you're not at home in mm-hmm. the midst of all of these things happening. Um, and having to, you're in a major transition already. So to be in a major transition and to have everything that 
you may have seen coming, but you didn't was hoping it wasn't going to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a different uh, podcast. Yeah, that that's the <laughs> that's a different one. <laughs> and uh, you know, and trying to just be okay was um, super challenging. Um, I had to question and reevaluate a lot of my relationships and figure out how I'm going to navigate them. Um, because one of the things that was very evident to me, based on who God created me to be. Like if you look at it, like my, um, I guess Facebook, because that's kind of like Facebook is more like family oriented, I would say. So I yeah. have like most of like, you know, those type of people. It's my pages is very diverse. I know very diverse groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that um, an important statement about 2020 is, is that I had to reevaluate some of those relationships. Um, because... Uh, yeah, like yeah. it's not, this isn't a silent moment anymore. Like, yeah, I get yeah. that you may not be vocal, but this is not a, a moment that you can remain silent. This is the a MLK moment. Okay, quote. Yeah, you're going to have to put on your, you know, your big girl panties or your drawers and get moving. Like, you're going to have to decide. Speak or, or move. Exactly. Um, and what I was challenged with is I had a lot of friends that treated me like uh, a side chick or a one night stand. Mm. Uh, So (laughs) you're sending me messages privately asking me, am I okay? Um, Saying, oh, I'm so sad about what's happening, but your page isn't a reflection of it or you're not speaking out on it. Or I don't know what to do. Well, I'm telling you what you can do and you're choosing not to do that because you don't want that smoke, but that's my life. I deal with that smoke when I walk outside the door. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? I deal with the heat. The heat is on when I choose to leave my house and to experience the world. And so I think that was like the part that was um, super challenging for me was, is how am I going to navigate those relationships? And there was a couple people that I did cut the cord from. Mm. And there was a couple people that I just held on to and just was like, we cool. We just have a little bit of a barrier yeah. um, in between us, you know? And then there's some people that I was like, oh, you a writer. <laughs> um, and I'm not looking for people to, um, you know, denounce their family or anything like that, but I'm looking for them to say right is right and, and wrong is wrong. And if they didn't understand, I'm expecting them to come to me to say, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. So I really respect people more that was willing to say, I don't get it and I don't understand it and and wanted to have that conversation because I'm the individual that's willing to have the conversation because I feel like they're necessary for change to actually happen. Yeah, many Um, don't. Exactly. So that was, that was an interesting, um, very interesting place to kind of navigate. And then, you know, also too, you know, with the pandemic, um, being in, in any type of frontline type of situation. Like mm-hmm. I know even yourself, you had to go to work and that was hard. Yeah. Um, that I don't think that people really gather while we're fighting about whether you should wear a mask or not, um, <laughs> or whether we should be closed or not. The weight of the responsibility for anybody that really had to be in work while everybody else was home. And the decisions that you make for yourself, your family, like even mm-hmm. the decisions that your job had to make in terms of how do we deal with this, you know, yep. productivity wise, um, you know, staff wise, it was just, I was exhausted for months mm-hmm. and months on end. Um, and so self-care and stuff was just really 
important. Um, yeah. You know, I had family members pass away. So 2020 had a lot going on. Yeah, um, But then absolutely. I had, it was a lot of blessings though. Like, you know, I entered in spaces I wasn't in before. I met new people. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to work on projects. You know, I feel like at the end of the day, one of the things that I had sent to um, my mentoring group, it was that 2020 was a year of great reward. Like that's, literally what I heard the Lord say before Mm -hmm. we entered into 2021 is that 2020 was a year of great reward. And that might seem so like, um, false. Um, I mean, I I can't say that for my life just because, and I'm sure you know why. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I definitely can. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And yeah, it, it wasn't, it it wasn't necessarily the rewards that we're used to. Like, you know, it wasn't of like maybe like the accolades or, you know, some people may have had, you know, um, financially their situations changed. And, Jeff you know, Bezos. obviously we saw, you know, we saw so much devastation in um, the world and stuff. But it was really one of those places that you understood what was valuable. Um, mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. understood the things that you had to cut away. Um, there were a lot of, yeah, definitely a lot of opportunities that people had that they wouldn't have had if we weren't here, um, because it, they had to shift, they had to regroup, they had to look at situations differently. Um, there was a lot of relationships that were cultivated and built in 2020. Um, so there was a lot of reward in the middle of a storm. There was a lot of things that were added. And so instead of just looking at all of the possible devastation of the year, I just choose to look for the reward that was in it. So it was, it was. Um, so we getting ready to uh, close out because I don't want to keep you too much longer. I feel like mm-hmm. we could probably do a day, twenty four hour podcast. <laughs> like this, maybe we could. I, I uh, agree. I told you I'm long winded. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am myself too. Um, so the last two things I ask is, um, what's one thing you would tell a stranger to encourage them? Mm. to have hope okay um because there's sometimes that we can't see past our situation and i get it mm. <laughs> i've been there i think we've all been there mm-hmm. um there's sometimes that we feel like we don't know how we're going to make it and i get it um but when we hope for and have expectation that there's greater when we meditate on um, possibility and we put our mind and our focus on moving forward um, in the future and um, seeing the beauty um, in the ashes and things like that. Those are the things that will get us on the other side of anything because we're in the pandemic for 2021. Let's be real. Yep. Um, and so if if you don't have something to hope for, if you don't have something, if you don't see promise at the end of this, it's going to be another very hard and challenging year. You know, there's so many major transitions going on. Yeah. And it's easy to just look at the world and look at everything that's wrong with it um, instead of having hope for the future. And, you know, seeing beauty in situations and um i know that that sounds very like rainbow bright care bear it don't it don't, um, it don't. 
but it's really going to be the thing that's going to get us on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the midst of hard things, I'm not saying that we're, you know, going to five years down the line that, you know, we're going to be holding hands singing case Sara Sarah. Um, <laughs> but it is being able to see that, um, that the glass doesn't always have to be half empty. Yeah. That's going to be what allows you to, to celebrate your life and to find joy um, in the midst and peace in the midst of everything that you encounter, because mm-hmm. you can be in desolate situations and um, still have joy. You can still have peace and everybody Facts. else is looking at you like, why is that possible? Facts. So. And then one thing you would tell a friend to encourage him. Um, yeah, be big. Ooh. <laughs> like, <laughs> be big. Like, don't shrink back. Be the most, like, bold, big, authentic version of yourself. This is not the moment to shrink back. Come on, I now. know that there's all these things that are happening. There's all these things that are going on in the world. You know, you're looking at whether or not there are possibilities, um, things that you thought may have been different, you know, um, or you were hoping that were going to be different and they're not. Yeah. But be big. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Uh, that take care out of your vocabulary. Yeah. From what you're saying to yourself, I don't even think that half of the time we're always talking about haters in the world. It ain't haters in the world. It's this one. It's what's in here, your brain. (laughs) So be big. When you think that I can't do it, then you know that you actually can. Mm. So it's not that I can't, it's how. What do you need to do to get on the other side? So yeah, yeah, be big. You was talking to me for that one. Like, yeah, yeah, that came directly right to my spirit. Well, you know, praise God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you Amen. so much. Thank you so much, Tara. This was amazing. Um, Thank this is amazing. I just it's always amazing. But yeah, um, I'm excited. I can't wait for this to come out because it's gonna be powerful. Oh well, thanks. I'm excited for it to come out. Thank you for uh, having me and all of those things. And yeah. So last thing is, um, let the people know where they can find you, your socials and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So you can find me on, I'll just give you my, uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and my Instagram is Tara speaks. Um, okay. and you can find me there. You can DM me there. Um, you can also, um, email me at terraspeaks.com. Um, I do mentoring. Um, I'm coaching. I do all of those things to help you step into the brilliance of who you are it's amazing Um, work people it's amazing work trust me yeah so and i really believe that um if you're willing to put in the work that you will you will definitely see the results and it just so happens that i am willing to put in the work with you so you're not alone so i am part of those results yay stop Alrighty, so <laughs> with right. that being said, uh, have an awesome weekend and till next time. All right, thank you. You Bye-bye. too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>